What's up, guys? Welcome back to Sit Down with Sid podcast. This is episode number 36. Our guest today was born in the Bronx, New York, and grew up idolizing David Cohn and the New York Yankees. As a teenager, he was the Yankees' bad boy during their most recent dynasty from 1998 to 2005, spanning three World Series championships and two other World Series appearances. He has made numerous media experiences as an author, speaker, and a translator. A passionate advocate of children's literacy, he also launched the Squeegee Children's Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit organization geared towards increasing youth literacy in inner cities. Without further ado, I have an honor to welcome Luis Squeegee Castillo. How are you, Luis? How you doing, Sid? Thank you for having me, man. Thank you so much. Wow, what a beautiful introduction, man. And uh, before I got on, we were chatting up a bit behind the scenes, man. You're, you're, you're a good guy, man, and, and I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much, Lois. Honor is ours. Uh, so, Lois, before we kind of get into the, into the podcast, you know, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your background, where you grew up, you know, and so forth? Yeah, I'm a Bronx native. Uh, I was born and raised in the Bronx, the South Bronx, uh, on Kelly Street and Prospect Avenue. And um, I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican. My mother's Puerto Rican descent. My father's Dominican descent. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in, in a home, uh, in, in an apartment with my mom and my dad and my older sister. Uh, we had to share a room, uh, my sister Marilyn. And that was kind of tough, sharing a room with a, with a girl. You know, that's kind of tough, man. But, you know, we were both ambitious. And me and my sister, you know, Growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, it was, you know, back then in the uh, early 90s to the late 90s was a lot of drug infested area, violence, murders, you know, things that I got to see that I didn't want myself or any kid to grow up and, and seeing because that becomes a norm, you know, violence and, and, and you know, and, and negative activities. So, you know, always sitting in the window as a little kid, my mom wouldn't let me go outside and I used to always beg her, please, please let me go play. I see all my friends, you know, childhood neighbors and outside. My mom wouldn't let me because she was protecting me from that kind of environment. And to this day, you know, I thank her for that because, you know, it, it showed me that window looking out that, that kid. I remember myself looking out that window now, looking back at myself saying, you know, I, I used to think a lot sitting in the window. I want to do better than this. I want to I want to have a family one day when I get older and be a, a better person to my kids, you know, and get them to see different stuff than what I was seeing as a kid growing up that was kind of traumatizing. Wow. So, so let me, let me ask you about now baseball, you know, did you ever play baseball and, and, and what made you like fall in love with this sport? Well, um, Sid, to be honest with you, uh, I, I spoke about this uh, a lot to my friends. My dad lied to me. Uh, when I was nine years old, uh, he told me he was a, a professional baseball player in his country when he played in, in Dominican Republic. And to come out five years later, he never even played baseball a day of his life, but he loved watching it on TV. So my dad, you know, telling me this lie, kind of like, you know, he was my hero, you know, right. and I was like, wow, I would tell all my friends, my dad, yeah, he used to throw 90 miles per hour and he played in DR, he was a professional player. But him seeing me happy and that little white lie uh, motivated me to love the sport because my father would sit down on a couch with me 
and he would make me watch the Yankee games. And his favorite pitcher was Jeff Nelson. And man, that guy was tall and can throw. And I got to work for him later on when, when I got to work with the Yankees. And uh, so that little white lie about my dad made me fall in love. And him and my mom would put me in summer leagues and pay for my summer league fees to play baseball here in the Bronx and play you know, against other competitive kids. And I kind of liked it because it was for the love of the sport. I got to learn the ins and outs. I didn't know nothing about baseball, but uh, you know, being with other kids, um, managers and coaches throughout my, my uh, semi-professional career uh, helped me grow into loving the sport even more and learning the history about the Yankees where I'm from, New York. Wonderful. I want to ask you, Louis, now, before I ask you, you know, how were you known as the Yankees bad boy? How did you kind of get, like, get into the Yankees itself? Like, to take us to the story, what led you to being recruited by Yankees? Yeah, I was a, a fan like everyone else first. I would beg my mother for $6 to go to the game. Back then it was $6. Now it's like a uh, hundred and something dollars. Right. Um, but I would beg her all the time to go to the games and I would go faithfully. And, you know, it, it's like when you go to Yankee Stadium as a kid without your parents, that's like uh, heaven on earth because, you know, you see it on TV and now you're there. And when I got there the, the, the first time, uh, it blew my mind just knowing that the greats like Babe Ruth, you know, uh, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson played here on these hollow grounds that I'm stepping on as a fan. And so one day I went with a friend from my neighborhood. His name was Alex. And we're still friends to this day. And he uh, said, let's go to the stadium. We rode our bikes. We put mm -hmm. our chain on the poles under the train station. We went to the right field bleachers. By the way, the best place any fan can ever sit is the right field bleachers. And I, we sat in this lady's seat. And the lady wasn't too happy. Mm -hmm. So she goes, hey, guys, there's rules you got to apply and you're not supposed to sit on a seat. So my friend, you know, we're from the neighborhood we're from. He used profanity and she went and told the security guard. I stood silent. I was in total shock because I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, we got kicked out the stadium. I didn't even get to watch. We bought a six dollar ticket. We didn't even get to watch the game. And I had to come back and somehow tell my mom, you know, I'm sorry. You know, we got kicked out. So when I told her that, uh, I watched the game at home. I felt so bad that day. The next day, I asked my mom for six bucks again to go to the stadium and hoping to God that I find this lady. And there she was. I went back to the same section. She was sitting right there with the same people. And they were called the Bleacher Creatures. They're a group that they go to every game for the past 40-something years. Oh, wow. And her name is Tina Lewis. And we introduced ourselves to each other. And I said, I wanted to apologize on my friend's behalf his behavior we didn't know it was our first you know time coming to the stadium we just wanted to see you know batting practice and then take it all in and we became best of friends me and tina after that and uh i went to every game she used to sneak me in sometimes and uh so we became good friends that i told her my one day was to become my dream job was to become a new york yankees bat boy and she goes i can make that happen for you and you know the rest is history she she was a woman of her word <laughs> oh my gosh Uh, Louis, uh, for our audience who is listening overseas and not that familiar with the baseball, can you, can you tell them a little bit who, what is a bad boy? So they actually know. A bad boy, it's, I call it a, a babysitter for professional athletes. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you handle 
they're a bat boy handles on and off the field uh, jobs that the player needs, like requests, almost like an assistant. Uh, during the games, when the actual game is going on, you're picking up their bats while when they swing, so they don't have to do extra curriculum. Uh, you you clean their clothes. Uh, you you clean their spikes after a game, so the next day, all their stuff is ready to go for the next game. Uh, you take care of their their mail. You hand them their mail. Uh, you you get their car washed, and you you do anything they ask of you, and it comes with uh, you know they pay you for it. They give you good tips, and you get paid by the organization. Uh, it, it's basically like I said, a bat boy is a superhero. Uh, he does a lot for these players and keeps their minds focused on the game and less distractions for them on and off the field. So, so Luis, uh, tell us one thing. Like now, how many bad boys are usually in a team? Is it one? Is it multiple? How does that work? Um, a bad boy, there's basically, you know, every team has, you know, their own bad boys in every state. Mm -hmm. uh, usually on the Yankees' uh, home side, There's three bat boys on the field, which one would be down the right field line, warming mm -hmm. up the right fielder in between innings to keep his arm loose. Mm -hmm. Then you got a ball boy that runs the baseballs to the umpires every foul balls or okay. every pitch that's thrown and the ball is uh, used. They always give them a new ball. Then you have another bat boy that picks up the bats for the players when they hit a home run or a base hit. And if the player gets on base, that bat boy has to run to first base, pick up his batting gloves or his shin guard or anything extra that he's wearing to protect himself while he's batting up. So when he's getting ready to run. So, so what year did uh, were you recruited by the Yankees? Was it 1998? 1998 was my first year, and that was uh, the dream year. That was uh, we made <laughs> we made history that year. Uh, wow, you're taking me back. That's when I was 15 years old. Um, we won 125 games, including playoffs and World Series, and we lost wow. 50 games only. I oh, mean, wow. that's the time of our lives. All the players were like little kids. Every day we were winning. You know, it was fun to go to work. You know, it, it's like we didn't know what losing was. We like if we lost one game, we won like 15 in a row. We're like, no, nah, this ain't that's happening. You know, because it was fun. It was you know, 25 people together, uh, players and, and coaches and managers and staff. So it was just fun to be a part of. Um, but 1998, yeah, that was my first year. Um, the Yankees actually wrote a letter to me in 1997, Sid. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote three letters to them, with, you know, with no hopes of, you know, the Yankees writing back because a million kids in the tri-state area write letters to become bat boys. Really? And only, and only probably... Three positions are available every year. You oh, know? wow. So I was like, it's like picking someone about a hat, like a lottery. And I got very lucky and fortunate because of the lady, Tina Lewis, told me how to write these letters and who to write to. And, you know, the most important things that the Yankee organization wants from a kid when you take the job and if they give you the job uh, is to keep good grades in school. And You know, you have to know a little bit about baseball and, you know, just do your job in long hours. So uh, I was very fortunate in 1998 when they wrote me a letter and that almost, you know, knocked my mother dead when she opened the envelope and read it to me. And she goes, they wrote back, they wrote back. And she said, look, the New York Yankees, the front office. And it was Sonny Hyatt, the baseball administrator, who still works with the Yankees, uh, 
welcomed me into the 1998 baseball Yankee staff and the organization. Wow. So, so, so tell me, Louis, were you the famous kid on the block walking down the streets of Bronx? And they're like, there he is. Uh, I blame Derek Jeter for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my name was Luigi from the neighborhood. Uh, to uh-huh. this day, I cannot get rid of the nickname Squeegee because of Derek Jeter. And I mean... Um, How did that come around? Why did he come up with this name for you? Well, you know, back in the 90s, we, we wore baggy clothes, you know. That was okay. the trend in, in urban hip-hop, you know. Uh, okay. So now we wear, I wear tighter jeans now, you know. I, I look back at now, I'm like, why, why was I wearing, uh, you know, a 30, size 36 when I was only a 30, you know. So I walk into to the, to my first day on the job, I walk in. Uh, they introduce me to my locker, and I'm starstruck. I see all these players that I used to see on baseball cards. So you cannot start your career without meeting Derek Jeter first because he nicknames everybody. Oh, he nicknames okay. all the players. He nicknames everyone, managers. He gives them nicknames. Okay. So I'm like, oh, cool. It's like kind of a neighborhood thing. You know, they, they give you a nickname when you're young. So um, he sees, he's looking me up and down. He goes, what's your name, kid? I said, Lewis. And he goes, nah. And I said, what do you mean? Nah. And, uh-huh. and he's like, that's it. You look like the squeegee, one of the window cleaners, because you know the, the, <laughs> those guys wear baggy clothes and they always clean right, windows right, right, in the city. Right. And from Joe Torrey to George Steinbrenner to opposing players to home players would just call me squeegee. And uh, to this day, it's those things they call me on a cell phone, yo, what's up, squeegee? Or hey, squeegee, how you doing? So Luigi's wow. forgotten. <laughs> wow. Thanks to Derek Jeter. Thanks to Derek Jeter. I, I want to take you back to. 1998 between 1998 and 2005 what was it like spending those days as a kid at that at the stadium or traveling with them share with us your experience I mean you were a young kid you know and I mean it's a dream come true for you at that time you know and like what was it like like you know what was the feeling when you walked in the stadium with those guys you know uh tell you the truth I still pinch myself uh it's like a movie. Um, I when I used to go to work, um, that was my most exciting times. When I used to get in a cab, uh, I used to call a cab base all the time here to take me to work, and I looked forward mm-hmm. to going to work every day because uh, just seeing these guys act like kids uh, and they're grown men and like high fiving you and them telling you stories and you hear things in media, you know, about these players and you know. Some you got to see them for yourself, and I I was fortunate and blessed by God to you know be with them like Der- the likes of Derek Jeter sitting on a couch with him talking about life. I never would imagine that in a million years. So going to work, they made it fun because they would play pranks on you. Like Jeff Nelson used to throw grapes at me, hit me in the back of my neck, and hide behind a pillar. You know, it was like things we did before a game. It was so cool uh, being a part of a family. Uh, you know a special place and especially the cathedral that's what i call it the cathedral of the world yankee mm-hmm. stadium mm-hmm. i mean it had so much history presidents celebrities players historical moments have been in that in that in that cathedral and i actually my hairs are standing up when i'm telling you this that uh, you're taking me back um just being there and, and and being a part of so many moments and world championships uh you know, I never would imagine it, like helping David Cohn, my childhood idol, 
that I looked up to. I wanted to always be like him. And he calls me to warm him up during his perfect game. Like, you know, who, who can think this? Not even Hollywood can write this. And he, they made you feel like family and, and a part of the team, these players. And they were goofballs. And it was fun traveling with them and going to the stadium and just seeing all those fans. When we would score a run, you felt like there was an earthquake in New York that the stadium wanted to tremble. And, and you would feel that energy. It's like, I wish that everyone could experience that not just uh, the people that were playing and, and staff people that got to experience that and the fans that were there that watched these games that were historical and, and we used to win a lot. Um, the thing was, you, they would root their players on and the players knew that and they would give the fans something and then you see the players' reaction with the fans. It was like being in the Bronx, playing a little baseball game in your backyard and you're rooting for your friend. And it was the same thing, but on a bigger stage. And it was, it was just so magical to watch. Wow. Uh, it's good that you brought up your idol, David Cohn. Can you take us back to 1999 when David Cohn uh, pitched a perfect game? And what was your involvement in it? Because I think this, this is kind of a historical moment for you as well. Yeah, uh, 1999. Uh, David Cohn. Uh, it's a hot, muggy day. It's a beautiful day. Um, it's Yogi Berra day. Yogi mm -hmm. Berra uh, finally came back to Yankee Stadium and him and George Steimer kind of like buried the hatchet. Mm -hmm. And George invited him back. The first pitch that Yankees always do this is tradition. They do a ceremonial first pitch where a celebrity or someone, you know, throws out a first pitch at the stadium to get the game going. And then they do the national anthem. Uh, this time it was the 1956 perfect game reenactment between Don Larson and Yogi Berra. God bless both of them. They're no longer with us. Mm -hmm. um, they were reenacting 1956 right before a regular season game for David Cohn against the Montreal Expos. Uh, so we get into the third inning, a little fast forward, third inning. Uh, it starts to get cloudy. It was such a beautiful day. It starts to get cloudy and it starts raining. So the umpires uh, said, you know, they, they called the grounds crew to put the tarp mm -hmm. on the field. So mm -hmm. the game, you know, got a little delayed for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, we're in the clubhouse waiting. We don't know if we're going to even play or, you know, or if David Cohn, because usually a starting pitcher, once he's warmed up 45 minutes, your arm, you don't want a professional yeah. getting hurt. You get somebody else to go because he already threw, he's cold and to try to get warm again. And we got a long season ahead of us. So nobody knew, but Cohn told Joe Torrey, the manager, I'm going back out there. And right when us, uh, Brian Cashman, the general manager, and Sonny Hyatt, the baseball administrator, come down. They got word from the umpires that we're going to resume play. We had to get ready in a hurry, everyone. And he didn't have time to warm up with the catcher, uh, Joe Girardi. So he saw me from the corner of the eye. Usually a starting pitcher doesn't ask no bat boy or no one to warm up when, on game day. They practice before on an off day or another day, but not on a game day. And he goes, squeegee. You got a glove? And I said, got one right here, Coney. He goes, you got a ball? I said, yeah. Okay, let's go warm up right in front of the vow uh, of the vows of Yankee Stadium. Now, in, in the in the old stadium, the pipes were real low. It was in a basement. So we're throwing mm -hmm. on concrete and it and, and we got metal spikes on, me and him. So I got in the catcher's position and he's wailing them, like throwing real hard to me. But you hear him skipping them off the roof, and I'm missing and he 
he said that he felt sorry for me because you know he was skipping him and he's like i don't want to be disruptive and so after that uh we we kind of like he didn't feel comfortable warming up in the bowels of yankee stadium in the basement he goes squeegee let's go on the field i said oh my god there's forty six thousand something fans and you know the players are getting ready the montreal expos are already on the mound with javier vasquez on the mound and the montreal's on the field getting ready warming up so i'm warming up with david Cohn. again we threw about 15 tosses and on the and you know me in my mind i'm like please don't get this guy hurt <laughs> that you mm-hmm. don't be the cause because i was i was a nervous wreck you know this is my childhood idol and and right, you know right. not thinking of a perfect game i'm just warming them up doing my duty and on the last one i threw a one ball that one bounced him and he picked it up like nothing he gave me a thumbs up he threw the ball back at me i kept the ball in my back pocket not thinking about a perfect game i was thinking about i just warmed up on his game day with my childhood idol because he always used to show me how to he showed me how to become a pitcher for my summer leagues so that was kind of monumental to me and fast forward the ninth inning uh pop up to scott brocious third baseman he catches the ball uh my hairs are standing i'm sorry it's just so I'm, i'm i'm reliving it and he drops to his knees and he's so red because it was hot and muggy and all you heard was the people and the fans just ah, perfect game you hear in the announcement david cone has reached baseball immortality and you see Girardi just runs him the catcher it felt like 1956 again and these are things that i studied the history of the yankees and i couldn't believe my own eyes that i was actually played the little small role that he says to this day that he considered me his good luck charm. And that's the only warming up he did. He tells everyone to this day that, you know, he was fortunate enough. And I'm so grateful that we were a part of that uh, 1999 perfect game that will forever be in history. And that's an epic moment. I, I can only imagine how you must be feeling <laughs> then and how you must be very oh, feeling now. Oh, we, we hugged each other. And, and when he, we got to everybody settled down, we took a picture, we sat down and, uh, we, we spoke about it and he thanked me a lot and he thanks me to this day. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to that man. So, so I know you were a Yankees bad boy from 1998 to 2005. So, so take us back to 2005. Um, if you feel comfortable, what happened, you know, how did you kind of, uh, lost the gig and did you, let's start with that because I have a follow-up question. Like, do you regret it? Uh, or were you like, you know, everything in life has a span, you know, everything has yeah, a time I frame. Feel, I feel that everything happens for a reason, uh, to be honest. Uh, both sides never met at the table. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. And at the end of the day, we everybody makes mistakes. Players make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I made my mistakes. And there's many people there that still have made mistakes. And uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. You know, I wrote it in my book. I, I've been open about it in interviews. And at the end of the day, I don't feel ashamed because these players have still, have still to this day supported me. And, you know, as I've got older, do I regret it? Uh, no, because it taught me a valuable lesson in life. Uh, it taught me to be more responsible. It, it taught me also to be a better person. And it's made me a better person because at the end of the day, I was young. And it, everybody, even players go through it when they go through their rock star moments and stuff like that. God grounded me and I was able through this lesson of 2005 with the Yankees when we both parted ways that I was able to learn my lesson to help other kids 
not make the same mistakes I made. Because not, not to say that I didn't have guidance, I mm-hmm. did have guidance. Mm-hmm. Thing was, I had lost my father because I don't, I don't make excuses, but my mind wasn't everywhere. I had the dream job of my life going on at the same time. Uh, I was working hard in school, working long hours, and I had little time for myself in my own life. Mm-hmm. So I rarely got to see my mother or my family. And, you know, you go through this emotional roller coaster of being happy one day, being sad the next day. Right. And you can have a thousand people around you. So this has taught me a valuable lesson. And this is why I go to, to talk to kids in schools and tell them, listen, I never want you to be like me. I want you to be better than me. Because who told me that? Not only David Cohn, Tanya starts the picture from the Yankees. They would sit down and tell me, you know, life is, is going to hit you like a roller coaster. You just got to stay strong and stay solid. So, you know, I don't regret it. And I'm still friends with a lot of those people. You know, and, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm thankful to God for it. I mean, that's a great analogy and great perception you have on, on the mm-hmm. lesson, you know, whatever you're saying, it's, it's, it's beautiful. But I mean, uh, it must be crushing for you at that moment, you know, and uh, I mean, how does that work? Like, you know, was it a mutual decision from both parties or was it, you know, one party said, you know, thank you very much. You know, you did a great job. We wish you all the yeah, best. How did that I work? Gotta- I got a phone call. Thank you very much. Uh, we parted ways. And, um, you know, it was there. It was heartbreaking, of course, like to anybody, even players, when they get the news and they get traded or something, it's heartbreaking because it's something, you know, and then something you love to do, you know, and I felt like, you know, if I was being able to give a second chance mm-hmm. that I would have redeemed myself because George Steinbrenner, the boss. So, uh, Luis. Also, how did you feel when you were inducted into the Hispanic Heritage Baseball Hall of Fame in 2020? Well, I said uh, a huge honor. Um, I, I can't be thankful and grateful enough to God first and to the uh, Hispanic Heritage Baseball Hall of Fame Museum that's in San Francisco. I mean, the names that are in this museum, the likes of Roberto Clemente, uh, legends before me, uh, Ruben Sierra, um, Roberto Alomar, uh, Edgar Martinez, different players from different teams that put up numbers. Um, and just to have to be the first bat boy with uh, Ray Negron, uh, my good buddy, the consultant of the New York Yankees, go in at the same time because he was a bat boy in the 70s. And having my family there, my mom, my sister, my kids, my friends, uh, media, um, getting recognized for the hard work that you've done, that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into pay, paid off, you know, not just the eight seasons that I did with the Yankees, but what I do off the field as well uh, while I was with the Yankees and uh, post-Yankee career, uh, bad boy career. So uh, having them come, uh, Ray, I would want to thank Ray Avila and Tito Avila for mm-hmm. coming down and, you know, the committee voting me in because in no sports, no bat boy or ball boy uh, ever got inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, any Hall of Fame. So wow. to me, that that's that was a huge honor for especially where I come from, my upbringing to give hope to children uh, that nothing is impossible. And, you know, you're going to face adversity in life and that getting that plaque and having my name in that museum for the rest of my life uh, is such a huge honor, man. Wow, man. Wow. That's, that's incredible. You know, that's really incredible. Uh, 
I want to talk about your foundation, the Squeegee Children's Literacy Foundation. What inspired or, or give us a background of why did you want to, first of all, why did you want to find a nonprofit organization? Second of all, what is the mission of your, of your foundation? You know, why did you start this? Um, I was inspired. I was inspired by Derek Jeter, David Cohn, and Jorge Posada, the catcher of the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to help them work with them. And, you know, they showed me what foundations they had. Uh, just like Joe Torre had the Safe at Home Foundation. Uh, I used to go to a lot of Jeter parties, uh, churn two parties, uh, events. He would raise money for urban kids to play sports, go to school, uh, you know, help families out in need. Uh, and I did that over the eight years that I was with Jeter. And, you know, uh, to me, it was like an, an honor to help, you know, other kids because when I was there as a bad boy, Derek Jeter would show me, you know, mm-hmm. this is how you set up an event. So I learned over the years how to organize, the, uh, you know, events to raise money for kids and, and, and charities. So helping these likes of these guys, like Posada, like I said, Derek, and, uh, and, and seeing Joe Torrey and his foundations. Uh, when I left, uh, when we parted ways with the Yankees, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to help kids because that's what George Steinbrenner was all about, giving chances to other kids. So I wanted to be what was taught to me, I wanted to bring to my neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I had saved money and I went to, you know, Manhattan's offices, law, uh, lawyers' offices, and went to uh, Supreme Court and we got it all certified. And I came up with Squeegee's Children's Literacy Foundation because I did some research mm-hmm. that in, in my communities and in many uh, of the Bronx schools, their kids were failing in reading. It was mm-hmm. at a 38% at that time. It's a little higher now. In 2013, mm-hmm. it was at a low rate. So I wanted to go into schools with my foundation and give book bags, have books in the, in the book bags with school supplies, you know, help out any way I can, uh, give tablets back to schools, having players come and talk to kids in school to give them motivation that education is, is more important than sports because you can be good at something, but if you lose, uh, you know, you get hurt, your arm, your leg, and you can't play in any sport that you're playing, what you have to fall back on? Right. Education. So education should always be first, sports second, because, you know, if you don't make it in sports or you're in sports and you get hurt, you're going to need an education to do something after, uh, after baseball, after basketball or football. So, you know, this foundation, Squeegee Children's Literacy, and its mission to this day is, you know, it started in the Bronx. Now we go to different states, gone, been to Florida, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, we, go, we go all over, Manhattan, Queens, Long Island, uh, you know, Pennsylvania. We just want kids to know you're not alone. And you have someone here and many like me that care about your education and want to help you. And uh, it's okay to fail at something, but just don't give up. You know, you keep moving forward and you keep trying harder. Uh, Have you ever spoken to the parents of these kids? The reason I'm I'm bringing this up is, as you Mm -hmm. said, right now, the percentage of kids failing in reading is higher than what it used to be back in 2013. So I personally feel just my opinion as well at that age i think the parents guidance plays a vital role in a kid's upbringing especially on the educational uh, forefront 
So has your organization taken any steps to also work with the parents directly, just not the school and the kids? Yes, we work with parents associations uh, with schools and uh, parents have reached out to me in personal Facebook, uh, mm -hmm. Instagram, direct messages and wanted me to go to schools that I haven't been to yet. And it's been so great since 2013 to see this outpour. I started with one school, said mm -hmm. I have 20 schools now. Oh, wow. And I want, I want to continue to keep growing, you know, because the, the importance here is you want kids to believe that what they see out of a window or they see in their community, in their society, that's not what you have to become. You know, you have, they need resource, they need more resources and more tools. And that's where I feel that I play a bridge between, you know, having connections with these players that I worked for and, and celebrities that I know to help not only just my community, but all the urban communities that are, are struggling in the tri-state area that need the help and these players that can help and have helped and are gonna help some more because these kids really need a push because we're in some trying times, especially through this pandemic, uh, you know, and these kids need the resources. There's no more, when I was growing up, you had a, uh, a you know, like after school, you would go to a PAL, a police athletic league. It was a right. gym, you can go, you know, there and, and you can, you know, get a meal and, and do extra curriculum homework and, and get, you know, a job after, you know what I mean? And these kids don't have that. So it's like they leave school and they're thrown to the street. And what happens when these kids are thrown into the street? Bad things are going to happen. Right. So I feel that, you know, politicians, uh, the players that I have, you know, we can all come together and, and we can continue fighting the fight because it's not over. You know, it's a, it's a continuous churn every year and we just want to, Make these kids all graduates and everyone deserves a chance to go to college, you know, and have a fair shot at life. That's how I see it because I was a kid once. Man, I have so much respect for you because I aspire entrepreneurs uh, coming up with something to contribute towards the society and, and especially kids because they are the next generation, you know. So thank you. Sir. Uh, you hit it right on the button, man. Yeah, man, I got a lot of respect for you. Keep doing what you're doing. I want to talk about a couple of other things before we wrap this up. I want to talk about your first book, which is the Clubhouse Confidential. Um, if you don't mind telling our audience a little bit about, you know, what, like, what can they learn from this book? What is in it? You know, why did you name it Clubhouse Confidential also? Yeah. Uh, Clubhouse Confidential, my first book was uh, not, I didn't get to name it. The uh, uh, company, St. Martin's Press, gave it a mm -hmm. name. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like Ray Negron, the consultant in New York Yankees, understands, and many people that have read my book, I've gotten great feedback. You know, you, you get some bad feedback, too, because people don't understand. That book, uh, when you read it, it's a quick read. It's a three-day read, excuse me. And you're learning about a kid's dream come true. I, I give you each player and each interaction I have with them differently. Mm -hmm. And you get to see their personality, uh, who they really are. Um, what moments I shared with them that was so precious and that, that we, me and them still talk about it to this day and we can laugh and chuckle about it to this day and cry sometimes of things we went through. So when you see that book, it's like a role, uh, an emotional roller coaster ride of my eight years when I was with the Yankees and uh, a 15 year old kid still trying to find himself and, and to the age of 22, uh, you know, and, and he had some good times and these players respected him and treated him like a little brother. And 
that to me, you know, when people read that and they come back to me and said, man, you're an inspiration to me. And I just want them to see that these guys are just like us. They're normal. They need someone to talk to just like we need someone to talk to. And this book gives that kind of father and son kind of bond back together and bring that tradition of old school baseball back, you know, and, and that's what I wanted to reach out to kids that, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can achieve anything you want in this world if you work hard and you focus and you do the right things. Perfect. Uh, also, I want the audience to know that we are going to put the link of the uh, book that is available on Amazon if they want to go purchase it. We also have uh, links of Louis, uh, Facebook, Instagram, if they want to reach out to you directly, uh, you know, and also kind of help you contribute towards your foundation, you know. Uh, Thank you, Sid. Appreciate that. No problem. Uh, you are actually now in the midst of launching your new book this summer, The Lucky Baseball with David Cohn and Daryl Strawberry. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us, uh, tell us more about it. You know, if you can't disclose a lot, just a little bit, uh, what yeah. this book is all about, and uh, how did this collaboration with David and Daryl came in existence? Uh, going back to the essence of how your first question you're asking, what made you fall in love with baseball? Mm -hmm. That's what the children's uh, the lucky baseball written by Luis Guidi Castillo is showing mm -hmm. kids out there that I was a kid, and this is God honest truth. I would. Uh, tell my mother, let me out that window and, and play with my friends. And since I wasn't good at baseball at a young age, none of my family members, cousins, or nobody used to pick me on a team. So I'd be the last kid holding a bat and a ball and like, hey, hey, there's one more spot. No, we don't, no, we don't need you. Don't worry about it now. And it, it used to hit me in my heart. I'm like, man, I just, I don't want to try to fit in, but I mm -hmm. want to learn. And no one was there to teach me. And that's why Daryl and, and, and David Cohn Daryl Strawberry and David Cohn are so vital to this because uh, David Cohn, like, you know, like I said, I lost my dad at an early age and at 15 years old when I was there, uh, he took me under the wing like a mentor and a father figure and would play catch with me just the way I play catch with his son now. So it's just showing a mixture of many ingredients of, you know, anti-bullying. I'm, I'm, I hate bullies. So that's in this book. Um, it shows mentors that at a, a stature and, and where they at, they care for a kid and take time to, you know, get the, the kid going in life. And then you have a mixture of different cultures uniting together and baseball can do that and brings everyone and unites everyone. So my message is, you know, bringing positivity and love and mm -hmm. David Cohn and, and I'm thankful to David Cohn for, and that was Strawberry for, I showed them the book they fell in love with it. Uh, mm. their, their illustrations, I don't want to give that away because they loved it though, uh, because mm -hmm. I want to shock everyone. It's I try to pay so much respect. This book is not about me. I just put a little bit about my upbringing, but it's more basically about the joy that baseball brings to adults and kids together. And baseball is the game of life. Wow. Um I want to ask you one last question. Have you ever thought about getting involved with the Major League Baseball again somewhere down the line or are you yes. done? I, I one day with the hopes and dreams of becoming a coach, uh, not do. a manager because that's a lot of stress, <laughs> but um, a coach, whether it be a first base coach, uh, mm -hmm. third base coach or a bench coach. Uh, I have a lot of knowledge. I still talk to these players like Ruben Sierra, uh, David Coney picks my brain a bit when we, we linked up and Ruben too. Uh, 
you know, and Mickey Rivers, the old school 1977 right fielder, he hits me up and we just go down and we talk about, you know, we break down things that we see now today in the game. And uh, I know baseball has advanced with technology. And, you know, I come from the old school era, because, even though I'm young, but I was brought into an era that was old and I still got love for the old era. And I kind of dig the new era, but I, I feel that I can help because I still help kids in high school and around and I teach them how to pitch the way Cone showed me. And these kids actually put their talent with what I teach them, the way Cone taught me and other players and their skills are getting elevated. And many people have told me, hey, you should open up a gym or something and train kids. I wish I had more time, but, you know, hopes in the future, Sid, that one day, if it's not with the Yankees, I, I would love to take a job with the Kansas City Royals, you know, where my childhood mentor uh, started, you know. But one day, God willing, uh, I can be a, a coach in the big leagues. Well, we wish you all the very best, uh, Lois. And, and once again, you know, I mean, what can I say? You know, I'm so impressed by your personality, you know. I mean, like coming from, you know, growing as a child, fulfilling your dream come true, you know, losing <laughs> it all, building it again, thinking of giving it back to the community. I mean, your life is beautiful. I see your life as a very beautiful journey. And I personally am, sorry, I personally am very inspired uh, by this conversation, you know, uh, you, the you. path that you have taken. Uh, so, I mean, if, if there was a message you would like to give to our audience, what would that be, you know? Yeah, my, uh, my message is, you know, uh, life is going to throw you curveballs. You just got to learn how to hit them. You just got to learn. Uh, life is not fair, but it sure gets better if you keep trying. Love it. Well, Luis, I, once again, you know, uh, this has been absolutely blast. You know, I, I had a great time uh, having Thank conversation you. with you. You know, I like your personality a lot. And, uh, uh, I want to wish you all the very best. You know, once again, we want to thank you for the opportunity. And uh, if there is something we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, you know? Yeah. One more thing. Sure. Let's go Yankees. Let's go Yankees. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Sid. I appreciate you guys. Great podcast. So much. You're a great man as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm very grateful. Much love and respect, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.